Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who has discovered the body of John Wilkes Booth. Here is the captain. Now let me tell you, it smelled horribly. It's good to be seen. Good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are still sipping on Three's Co-Company. What is that, you ask? Well, it's a creamy, full-bodied imperial style with coconut, vanilla, and milk sugar, garage grade four and a quarter bottle caps out of five. And here in the garage, we are always surrounded by good company. So let's give a long-distance cheers to Rachel in Saispo, Japan. And a big shout-out to Jessica in Cincinnati, Ohio. And here's a cheers to Casey in Tyler, Texas. And a big We Like Your Jib to Rebecca in Piedmont, Oklahoma. And here's a double-fisted cheers to Scott and Lacey in Madison, Indiana. And last but certainly not least, we have Devana in Silver Spring, Maryland. Thank you to everybody who helped us out with this week's beer run. Yeah, B-W-E-W-R-U-N, beer run. Make sure you're patient with us. We are behind. But if you haven't donated, you need to. Pitch in. Do your part to save parts unknown. Also, if you're done with this episode and you're thinking, what should I listen to next? You should be listening to Off the Record. That's our bonus show. Check that out on Stitcher Premium. And that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Fourteen days after 33-year-old Tracy Sissom was last seen, the Chevy Blazer that she borrowed from her father was found abandoned eight and a half miles from Tracy's apartment. Tracy Sissom's remains were found 70 miles from her apartment, and as we know, she had been dead for a while, probably about 18 days. And we also know that someone else was driving that Chevy Blazer after her death. This reminds me, Captain, of the Jennifer Kessie case. By the way, we covered the Jennifer Kessie case in depth in four parts. That's episodes 362 through 365, if anyone wants to look those up. I am in no way saying that these cases are connected in any possible way. Just kind of stuck on this idea about the vehicles in both cases. Jennifer Kessie from Orlando, Florida, 
has been missing since January 23 of 2006. Shortly after she vanished, her car was discovered parked around a mile or so from her home. A local security camera recorded a person parking Kessie's car and walking away. Now, that person could not be identified due to poor camera quality and the person's face and any distinguishing features being obscured. Now, one glaring difference here is obviously in the Tracy Sissom case, we have found and recovered her remains. I know we also know that there was a couple, an unknown couple that was driving the vehicle that eluded law enforcement. Right. So in the Kessie case, we're not certain what happened to Jennifer, but in both cases, we have recovered the vehicle that the victim was driving, and we know that they were moved by somebody else. Now, again, here we have a very similar situation in the system case. The blazer that Tracy was borrowing turns up with these weird people that we don't know. We don't know who they were. So what were these two people doing in the blazer, doing with that blazer? Were they simply moving it and almost got caught along the way, but were able to duck the police? Or were they responsible for, you know, does this mean that they're responsible for Tracy's murder? Or do we have something else going on here, Captain? Because we have discussed this several times before in other cases here in the garage. Could this be just one of those weird and rare situations that the real killer simply gets lucky and the case becomes more confusing for detectives because our killer got lucky? And what I mean by that is there seems to be a pretty general belief shared amongst a lot of people that these two people that were seen driving the blazer and then fleeing the vehicle, that they're just part of the story, but don't really have anything to do with what happened to Tracy Sissom. Well, what we know about Tracy is that her body was dumped into a rural area, a street that most people wouldn't travel on unless it was a local situation. Mm-hmm. But, a distance away from where she was last seen. You said 70 se- miles. Yeah. So seven zero miles. Is it possible that the killer of Tracy also abandoned that vehicle and somebody, like you were saying, this couple then happens upon that vehicle? That is kind of the general belief here uh, that is shared amongst many people is that these two people may have found this vehicle somewhere. Now, keep in mind. Tracy is last seen in Indianapolis, a big city, a major city, 70 miles from where her remains are found. It's very likely whatever happened to Tracy happened to her that night at the apartment or right after she left her apartment that night. So whatever happened to Tracy happened in Indianapolis. And if you're going to, let's say you have a personal cause homicide where you murder someone that is somewhat close to you, that there would be an easy, a direct connection for law enforcement from victim to offender. But you have killed somebody that you know, personal cause homicide, and now you are tasked with a couple things, right? You could just leave the body to be discovered, and then they can go about their investigation. But if you do that, you know that they're very quickly going to wind up on your doorstep, knocking on your door, asking you, the tough questions. What you're tasked with is I need to get rid of this body a and B. I need to get rid of this vehicle because it's a quick and easy leap from body to vehicle. When you go, you know what? Okay. Uh, Who cares what she told anybody that day or the weeks before, if they don't find her and they don't find this vehicle. And as long as I can create that delay, between them locating the vehicle or locating her, the more and more this starts to look like the people, maybe she just took off. Maybe she just packed up her shit, put it in this blazer and took off. Well, on every missing person case that we, we cover, we talk about those possibilities. Was there foul play? Did this person want to commit suicide? Did this person want to take off and start a life of their own? Well, and we've talked about several cases where, People report somebody missing and the local law enforcement agency 
they don't have something to investigate because the adult is allowed to go missing. Hey, finish your food before you talk. So I think that's what you're looking at from a strategy point and from something you brought up. There's a good chance that whoever is responsible for this mm-hmm. may have moved her vehicle and left it somewhere, abandoned it, and then these people found it and moved it. And when they get pulled over by the cops, they get scared. And they, you know, these could be drug users. This could be people doing a favor for somebody. This could be homeless people. It does not have to be somebody directly connected to Tracy or her murder. Well, because if you find a abandoned car and let's say you find the keys in the car. Party time. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go pick up the captain. Yeah. And we're going to blast some Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Don't vomit in the back seat. Yeah. Give it, if you're going to spew, spew in this. But when you have that scenario and you're the driver and you see law enforcement, you're going to assume that somebody reported the car stolen. Right. Because you essentially stole the car. And we've said it a thousand times. Vehicles are easier to find than people. And the weird thing here, too, is we have information that is telling us that the cause of death in Tracy's case was strangulation. And then you have that partial box of ammunition in the back seat. It doesn't sound like some rando people that are moving this vehicle for you or that, that found it abandoned, that they would leave ammunition in the vehicle for any reason. That's just another confusing part of the story that may really have nothing to do with anything other than again if you can create a paper trail between that partial box of ammunition and somebody else especially somebody in tracy's inner circle well now we have a problem now we have something to to talk about and something to investigate like you're also saying a really good strategy if something happened in indianapolis have the vehicle be in Indianapolis. Yep. Even if it's 10 miles from where Tracy would have been, you're not going to be thinking about trying to locate a body 75 miles away. Once you find that vehicle, you're going to go, okay, well, now her apartment is considered a crime scene, and this vehicle is now considered a crime scene. So you might, again, you would have to put one plus one plus one equals three, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, your strategy would be to want that vehicle to be in Indianapolis, or as Chaz Barkley would say, in the Annapolis. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you you would want to separate yourself from the victim and from her from the crime scene itself, too. And the best way to do that is not have them find the body if you're the perpetrator of this crime. And it seems like police were... We're really working under the theory that, yes, she was killed elsewhere and then dumped in this location, but we have her last known whereabouts is that apartment. So do they believe that she was killed or attacked in that apartment or in the parking lot of her apartment complex? And then you have the statement from the police. This is what's interesting, though, Captain. We, we People go, why are you really hyper-focused on these ideas? It's because... Police have not released very much information in these cases. In this case, they've not even officially released the cause of death. So we know that they're very strategic about what they are allowing to come out. So they probably are only allowing things to come out that they know, that they have other proof or evidence that this is very much case-related. This is information that we want to allow to go out to the public. And what was that one statement that they had that a neighbor or neighbors had seen a suspicious vehicle that they reported to be possibly a dark SUV, that whole statement too. And knowing that the last time she spoke with her mother was 7 PM that night, I'm starting to feel like the sun goes down in Indiana that night and something bad happened to Tracy in that general location after the sun went down. Because again, I'm going back to the, difficult, vague description provided to police by a potential witness of a possibly dark SUV. Something, either their memory is not great or something is causing them to not be able to see the vehicle extremely well. Over the next couple of years after Tracy's body was recovered in 2004, only little bits of information trickled out, but nothing that really changed 
what we've already related to you thus far in this case. Indiana State Police Sergeant Jeff Decker told the Republic that the police were choosing not to release the cause of death so it would not create problems in any police interviews. Decker did confirm that they believe Tracy to have been killed elsewhere and dumped in the area where she was found. Investigators continue to work the case and would say only that they continue to talk with people they haven't ruled either way on this being in or out as possible suspects. Well, and people have to understand something that's simple. Again, you see this in like the Delphi case where people want to know the cause of death. Mm -hmm. They want to know what happened. They want to know those details. They think that somehow those details are going to help them solve the case when they're doing their internet web sleuthing, right? Mm -hmm. But in this case, you might have somebody that comes forward and says, hey, look, I was talking with my boyfriend, I was talking with my girlfriend or whoever I was talking to, and they said that they're responsible for her death. Well, how did they kill her? Oh, well, they said they shot her. And if that's not the cause of death, then you're less likely to believe that lead. And people might naturally think that she may have been shot and it not be the case at all. Right. Right. Why would they naturally think that? Because ammunition was found in her abandoned vehicle. Now, one thing that did come out, this was in 2006. Wait, so just just to, so what you're saying is by releasing that information, it's kind of a deceptive way to put out information there that might not actually matter by law enforcement. Well, Well, not only that, but you may not have any control over it. You may be going back and retroactively creating that strategy, meaning if they announced that the vehicle was found, remember the vehicle was found before her body was located right? and even months before the body was even identified. So there may have already been information out there to the general public, whether it was in a newspaper or on the news or just known in her inner circle that all oh, they found, they found her vehicle before they found her body. And there was, there was bullets in that, you know, sitting, sitting in a box in that back, the back seat of that vehicle. Now, one thing that did come out in 2006 that the police discovered in their investigation, and this is per the Indy Star, was that Tracy Sissom was trying to kick a drug habit or recently had kicked a drug habit. Her family said that she had a troubled marriage and that her body had no trace of drugs in her system. So there was a toxicology report done on the body on the remains and there were no drugs found to be in her system at the time of her death. Well, and that's what I wondered because, you know, in the missing or the vanishing women case in Chillicothe, there was several victims that they thought were just overdoses. And, right. and so if there's an overdose at a party, they don't know what to do. And, and because they're all drug addicts uh, struggling with that addiction, they don't want to go to jail. So then they, get rid of their, they get rid of the body. Well, in this case, we know for sure that it's a homicide. The people who know Tracy told us that Tracy's estranged husband, Michael Sissom, had a crack cocaine habit and that he had gotten Tracy hooked on drugs as well. But we know that they were not together at the time that she disappeared. And we also know, based off of what the family has said, that she was trying to kick the habit or had kicked the habit. And then you have to go back to the toxicology report that may back up that statement that she did, in fact, kick the habit. And she ain't going back to Michael Sissom if he's if he's hooked on drugs and, and part of the problem. Now, clearly, based on this clean tox screen at her autopsy, Again, we know that this shows Tracy was moving forward, moving on from that addiction. But her troubles with drugs and an ongoing court situation with her first husband and her estrangement from her second husband, and again, the unknown identity of the people driving the blazer provided a fairly long list of potential suspects, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. In 2006, the family announced that they were offering a $10,000 reward for credible information on Tracy's death. Her sister, Shelly, told the Indy Star, quote, we are pleading for any information anyone will have on my sister. It has been two long years. There is a void. 
It makes you wonder how cooperative these exes are with law enforcement. Because you'd think that even her first husband, look, he has a he has a dog in the fight in the sense they have children together, mm-hmm. and he would you know want to know her whereabouts, obviously, and then for his children's sake, he would want to know one what happened to their mother, so he can explain that to them later, but also who is responsible and to see that justice is done for the mother of his children. Well, and along with this same announcement here, Captain, of the family offering up $10,000 reward for credible information on Tracy's death, they did quote Rebecca Sandlin, who is Tracy's mother, as saying, quote, someone out there did this to her. It's not fair. They are living, eating, breathing, having fun, acting like nothing happened. No, something happened. Something terrible happened. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. 
Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back, you filthy, filthy, filthy animals. Take you a bath. Take a... I can smell you from here. Somebody in this garage needs to take a somebody, bath. Somebody stinks up in this garage. Oh, by the way... Uh, TCG 10 gets you 10% off of CrimeCon in Las Vegas. And the plan is that we will be there. So that's our promo code. Unless something changes in God the world. God willing, we will well, be there. I like to say it's a definite, but we've been some through some trying times. Yes. And we're all in this together. So a little stat for you and a hopeful stat is that there were three phases of the Spanish flu. So we're in the third phase of COVID, so maybe we're closer to the end than the beginning. So keep your fingers crossed. And here's something that I found online here, Captain, that I want to make sure that we send out to the whole world here because it's a case that's near and dear to our hearts, the Tony Muncie case, which was one of our bonus episodes that we released years ago and still is available to this day for purchase and download to listen to. But on Sunday, August 29th, and again, this is something I found online. This is not a direct advertisement. So don't, don't hold my feet to the flames here, everyone. But on Sunday, August 29th at 10 PM Eastern, Tony's episode will be airing on TV on the investigation discovery channel. So if you want to continue to follow that case and that case was successfully solved, check that out on Sunday. Yeah, you can find our episode on our website, truecrimegarage.com, or also in the iTunes store. You can buy it directly from iTunes. I'd recommend getting the episode, listening to it, and then sitting down and watching what uh, ID has to say. Yeah. In 2008, Tracy's case was featured on a deck of playing cards. Now, we've seen this in several other cases throughout the years. This is a deck of playing cards that is handed out to inmates in the state prison system. They will often put missing persons or unsolved homicide victims on these playing cards and give them out to the inmates because they have time to sit around and play cards, and they're hoping that maybe someone will see her picture, get a little bit of information. Maybe they know something. Maybe somebody on the inside has told them something, or maybe someone they knew on the outside told them something, and then they can pass that information along to law enforcement. Now, remember that Tracy's body was found wrapped in a quilt far from the apartment that she was vacating, found in rural Brown County. Investigators said that they had not been able to uncover any nexus between Tracy and that area. Tracy was from Indianapolis and had no connection whatsoever that they could find to that rural area at all. Brown County prosecutor Jim Oliver told the Republic, quote, she was last seen in Indy. She lived in Indy. We don't know what the Brown 
County connection is. He said he believed investigators should focus on Marion County, where Indianapolis is located. This seems like a very important hint that officials believe that whoever killed Tracy was close to home. Now, before we proceed any further, it has to be said that this is one of the most frustrating cases that we've looked at in a while due to the lack of information. Our efforts to obtain documents and reports were stonewalled in every direction. We submitted FOIA requests for police reports and autopsy reports. Those were denied. But again, this case is 17 years old, right? We've not seen a ton of movement on it. It's time. It's time to put out some more information. Well, it's so frustrating because you know that there's people involved or people that are possibly close to her that have information that they're sitting on. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, why wait? And and this idea that somebody committed this murder and is just sitting around like eating their hot Cheetos, having a good time. No, this is weighing on them. Well, it weighs on them all the time. We managed to unearth some information, some more information, and talk to some sources that we will relay to the listeners in hopes of stirring up some interest in Tracy Sissom's case. We did a lot of digging in this case to try to get to the bottom of who killed Tracy. Our feeling was that police have to know a lot more than they are saying, and I think we're right. Our sources, people close to the case, we are not naming them, tell us that there is indeed a prime suspect, a number one suspect in the murder of Tracy Sissom, and police know exactly who he is. We are talking about Tracy's estranged husband, Michael Lee Sissom. According to our sources, when Tracy went missing and then turned up murdered, police went after Michael Sissom incredibly hard. So she said. I bet you they thought that they were going to get an arrest and soon a conviction early on in this case. Right. Police were convinced that Michael had shown up to the apartment that night that Tracy was cleaning out and that the two had some kind of altercation and he killed her and then dumped her body. Sissom was a Indianapolis native as well, growing up in the same neighborhood as Tracy did. But our sources tell us that Michael Sissom had many ties to Brown County as well, that he grew up hunting in that area and that he is intimately familiar with the area where he dumped Tracy or where her remains were found. That is interesting. We're being told that this guy is the prime suspect. We're being told by law enforcement that Tracy system has no ties. We can't find any connection between our victim and where we found her body. Brown County. How now Brown cow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we're being told by the sources that not only is this dude, the prime suspect, but there are obvious connections between him, the suspect and where the body was later found. According to the sources, Michael was dealing drugs when the police were pressuring him about Tracy's murder and the cops started badgering his drug associates about his activities. So the, the heat was getting too hot. hot in the hot. So zone. he skipped town. He ended up in Oklahoma, and then he was in Missouri for a while where he beat up a guy who owed him money from a pool game. Apparently, he beat this guy up so bad that he was arrested in January 2006, and he was facing a decades-long sentence for the assault. Some have said that the woman that he married right around that same time, he married this quote-unquote girlfriend so that Uh, she could not testify against him and that all of the other witnesses were deemed incompetent in that case because they had all been drinking in the bar when the fight occurred. So these charges captain end up getting reduced to felony theft, right? So he beats up this guy. The motive for beating him up was because the guy owed him money from a pool game. Well, apparently after he beat up this guy, he took that money from the dude So they didn't charge him with the physical assault. They charged him with stealing the money. Well, how much money? I, you know, I don't know how much it was, but what happens here is not only do the $5 bill and a Coke, not only do the charges get reduced, but the sentence gets reduced as well. So he, he ends up looking at decades long or more charges. Originally, this ends up only being with him taking a plea deal and getting sentenced to six years 
he ends up serving one. Now, here's what we've learned. Obviously, Michael Sissom has a violent past in which he faced charges for that assault. Right. But women who have dated him say that he would choke them and that he was abusive during their relationships. What a romantic. They said that at first he would come across as a great guy, but then he would become emotionally and physically abusive and manipulative. He assaulted one woman he lived with in Indiana after his release from prison. And when she filed charges and saw a restraining order, he sent someone over to tell her to keep quiet. So there is a conviction on his record relating to that incident, a misdemeanor battery charge for the assault, which occurred December 23rd, 2008. He also has a disorderly conduct conviction in Indiana from 2002. And as we said, he did a little bit of time in prison for that Missouri assault on the pool player. So he has a violent temperament and he likes to put his hands on women. That's what we are being told. Tracy's family has not spoken out to the media directly about Michael and Tracy's relationship and whether it was violent or not. Uh, but we do know the two were estranged and Tracy was living on her own in that apartment that she was clearing out when she vanished. And our sources tell us that Tracy had filed for and been awarded a restraining order against Michael. So if, if the dead could talk, then that's Tracy telling us that, yes, this guy was violent to me toward me as well. Mm -hmm. Now, Tracy and Michael met, I guess, much earlier in life when they were in high school, Michael actually dated Tracy's younger sister, Shelly. Now, Shelly was the most vocal advocate for her sister's case. Shelly would even call up Michael Sissom and beg him to provide the family with answers in Tracy's death, Good asking him to confess to the murder for the sake of their child. Because remember, the two had a kid together. And not only that, residents of the tight-knit community where both Tracy's family and Michael's family live, I'm being told that it they all seem to know that Michael had something to do with Tracy's death, that this is sort of an open secret in that area. Well, here, again, let's go through the list real quick. Violent temperament, puts his hands on women. We have a restraining order that was issued against him from the victim, and he has connections to Brown County, which he would... His connections are not just that he knew the area, but he was very familiar with the royal parts of the area because he went there to hunt. Not only that, some are saying the specific area where Tracy was later found. Right. Now, let's go back to 2004, right around the disappearance time when Tracy disappeared. Michael Sissom was telling people who asked about you know what happened to his wife that she had left permanently that she had taken the two girls and left and then went to live in various crack houses in Indianapolis. He said that he had gotten her out of the crack houses and moved her in with his mother. And that one day she went to pick up her child support payment from her ex-husband and he warned her not to blow it on drugs. And she just never came back. Okay. So of course this story is absolutely ridiculous. This is what our prime suspect is telling people in town. So this, okay, this wiener spanker, he is saying, oh, no, 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 no. She, she left and, and she was, she was going to all these different crack houses. And I'm the one that, that was trying to get her clean. Yeah. He's saying, hey, don't be doing that stuff around our kids and don't be spending your money on drugs. But the problem with his story, Captain, is this does not account for any of the time that she's living on her own in her own apartment or moving in with her mother. Mm -hmm. borrowing the blazer from her father to move. You know what I mean? It's, it's like a convenient way for him to explain away why she is not around anymore and blame it on the victim. And what's interesting here too, you go, okay, well, what does any of this mean? Does it mean anything, Nick? And I say, yes, it does. It, what it means to me is you have her other family. The rest of her family are going, where is she? We don't know what happened to her. Oh, but this guy's got a story, right? Right. He's got a story, a story that we know does not line up with the facts of her life leading up to her disappearance. How convenient. 
and he can say whatever he wants. That's the unfortunate truth here. That's the harsh truth here is that the, the possible offender lives to die another day and, and can tell whatever tale he wants between, between then and now she's not here to, to defend herself and, and, and tell us exactly what happened. What we do know from the tox report captain is that drugs were not found in her system when she was murdered. Right. So look, like you said, he can say anything. He decided to create some story, some fictitious bullshit, and it doesn't make any logical sense with what we know, that she was moving out of her apartment, that she was going to move in with her family, that she borrowed her father's vehicle. It doesn't make any logical sense, but it doesn't matter to him. He just, this is the story I'm going to tell, and I'm just going to stick to that. And you can, you know it's bullshit because you go, it doesn't make any logical sense. Well, and what it looks like to me here, Captain, is that the family's theory is that Tracy was at her apartment loading things into the blazer, as she said to everyone. Michael must have shown up despite this restraining order. The two argued. He strangled her. Then he wrapped her body in a quilt and drove her to another part of the state, a part of the state that he is familiar with to dump her. And here's the thing, too. It, it would be really important. And I know that the family's not been very vocal and Shelly was really Tracy's most vocal advocate. Sadly, Shelly has passed away in the years. So it would be really interesting to know. And I think it would be important to know whether the quilt Tracy was wrapped up in. Was this recognized by her family as one that belonged to her or the family? Or is this something that we can put up there and say, look, this, this quilt did not come from the victim, did not come from the victim's family. Our most, the best explanation we would have is that it belonged to the killer. Well, and the tough thing here again is if the point of interception or the point of abduction is her apartment, what was she doing at the time? She was packing up stuff. So the killer would have plenty of opportunity especially when you're moving, you have your boxes everywhere and things are open and you're packing blankets that you normally don't use. Did they just pull this quilt from her own belongings? Did they move her body with her father's blazer? Mm -hmm. Uh, These are things obviously we don't know, but very good point. If the family goes, we don't know whose quilt this is. Never seen it before. But but then the difficult thing is is if you say, well, this quilt is from her ex-husband, well, one could argue, well, maybe she took that with her when she moved out. Mm-hmm. So that that becomes the difficulty thing. Or if you go, well, that quilt is from, you know, uh, from his mother's house or something, I still think that becomes difficult to prove because they they did have a relationship. They were married. They did live together for a time period some of his belongings could have become hers. Another thing that would be very helpful to know is what happened with this Chevy Blazer, right? How did how did it get into the possession of this man and woman who ditched it when they were pulled over by police? Well, I bet money her I would bet money that maybe her ex he's sitting there going, Oh yeah, I had to go around to different crack houses and get her out of those crack houses. Okay, you're a crackhead yourself. That means you run in circles with crackheads. It probably wouldn't be that hard to sell that car for a little bit of drugs. It's a nice vehicle. Hey, if you just give me some drugs, I'll give you this vehicle. Well, and this, look, he's not a great guy. He's not even a good guy, right? This Michael guy that we've discussed. Oh, he's a bag of shit. But everything I've been told is he's a, you know, he's an intelligent man and that he's would not be dumb enough to, if he killed Tracy, he would not be dumb enough to be driving around the Chevy Blazer. That he would have known better than to drive around the vehicle that was tied to his missing and murdered wife with whom he was not supposed to be in contact with. Right. But people close to the case believe that he likely ditched it somewhere. Which makes sense. So that somebody else could magically come along and steal it in the middle of the night. Or that maybe, you know, if he if he is dealing drugs then maybe he traded it off to one of his drug associates or called in a favor 
from somebody. Well, again, that goes back to the circle of people that he runs around with. You have a currency that's different than money because you have addicts. Mm -hmm. And so they sometimes they'll do things that they normally wouldn't do. Maybe at some point they were a good person. But because of this addiction, they'll steal from their families. They'll steal from others. They'll burglarize the neighborhood. Uh, They'll steal from little kids. They might even murder somebody. Well, and you have a situation here that I find to be very interesting, Captain, where we have the potential of other suspects, right? We have a fairly large suspect pool that I would say we have. It could be an unknown person. It could be these two unknown people that were seen driving the vehicle. It could be her first husband. But what we end up having at the end of the day is sources telling us, no, it was the most recent husband. It was Michael Sissom, and he had a violent past. He was not supposed to be around her, and he probably was trolling her and bothering her, and that somehow they met up or he found her that night cleaning out the apartment, and they got into some kind of altercation. Well, no, and I I would lean towards that because I think the other thing, too, is She's not found with drugs in her system. And so that was probably a control technique for him. Hey, I'm using drugs. If I get you hooked on drugs, I can control you more. We already know he's abusive. And one of the things that abusive men do is they divide and conquer. Divide them from their family. Divide them from their their actual personality by getting them hooked on a substance. And one of the things that I believe, and I don't, I don't know if it, how true it is, but what I believe is sometimes these guys get in these horrible rages when they realize I can't control this person anymore. Mm-hmm. I have lost the ability to continue the path of abusing them and doing whatever I wish to them and having them be under my control. So we already see some kind of separation. She's living in our own apartment, but maybe he shows up that day and realizes She's clean. She has kicked the habit. She's kicked me out. She's kicked the habit. She's moving back in with her parents. I can't control her anymore. And then flies into a rage. And not only that, if everything that we're being told is true, Michael was an addict himself. I don't know his current situation, but you just said all of the things that, that people that are drug addicted may do for money or for whatever other resource he was an addict at the time of her disappearance. So that becomes a, a whole nother possibility. It could be, it could be that the drugs are more responsible for his actions than he is. And that's where, look, he got a plea deal one time in, in Missouri. There's still time. If he in fact did this, there's still time for him to do the right thing. And if he's not going to do the right thing, there's other people out there that know. I, I'm convinced of that, that there would probably, usually these people, even in personal cause homicides, usually they tell somebody something. And I got to believe, man, if this guy is hanging out with people that aren't so much on the up and up, or if he had a call in a favor to have the vehicle moved or, or help him in any part of cleaning up and covering up this murder, right? somebody definitely knows something. Well, it makes you wonder what happened to the children because, like you're saying, this is 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. And yes, she had three children. They're all grown adults now. They grew up without a mother, but they also grew up without knowing what happened to their mom. Yep. And again, like we said, what we suspect is that she kicked a habit, that she was turning her life around. And like I've always said, like, and we see it a lot of times with true crime cases where they don't get as much attention because you find out that the person was suffering with an addiction. And I always go, well, it's just as sad to me because they lost the opportunity to turn everything around. They lost the opportunity to become maybe what they were supposed to become all along, but they got sidetracked. And so these poor children grow up not knowing what happened to their mom, probably being fed lies from other parts of their family. They deserve answers just as well as the rest of her family does. Her oldest two were raised by her husband, you know, their father. And then her youngest, who she had with Michael Sissom, was eventually raised by Tracy's family. 
they're probably all in lockstep with of trying to figure out what happened, not just to their mother, but to their daughter, their sister, and so on. Now, as we said, Captain, this is a very frustrating case. Tracy deserves justice, and so far, she has not received it. Based on what we were able to learn, this is one of those cases, like another Indiana case that we've covered of a murdered wife, Sharice Bingham, where police know who did it. But for whatever reason, the powers that be don't feel like they have enough to bring charges. We can only hope that the Indiana State Police Detective Chris Fears, who told us that this is an open and active investigation, is correct and that this case is being worked and might one day be solved. The recent arrest of Heidi Ferkus's husband, Nick, 11 years after her murder, also gives us hope that this, even after all of these years have passed, that these murdered wives can find justice. If you have any information that can help in this case of Tracy Sissom or any of the other Indiana cases that we have mentioned in today's podcast, please contact the Indiana State Police at 1-317-232-8262 or for other ways to reach out to the Indiana State Police, you can go on their website at in.gov. Can't thank you guys enough. You filthy animals, can't thank you enough for listening to us every week in the garage, joining us in here, being our friends, being our buddies. And for that, we got got a little something for you. How about some recommended reading? Thank you, Captain. This week we are recommending The Corridor Killer by prolific and New York Times bestselling true crime author Catherine Ramsland. This book, The Corridor Killer, is not about just one particular killer, but about several true crime stories from the great state of Delaware. Check out The Corridor Killer, and for more recommendations, visit us at truecrimegarage.com. Till next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.